Chapter Twenty of the Trumpet Major. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Trumpet Major by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Twenty: How they lessened the effect of the calamity. Meanwhile, Annie Garland had gone home, and being weary with her ramble in search of Matilda, sat silent in a corner of the room. Her mother was passing the time in giving utterance to every conceivable surmise on the cause of Miss Johnson's disappearance that the human mind could frame, to which Annie returned monosyllabic answers, the result not of indifference but of intense preoccupation. Presently, Loveday, the father, came to the door. Her mother vanished with him, and they remained closeted together a long time. Annie went into the garden and seated herself beneath the branching tree, whose boughs had sheltered her during so many hours of her residence here. Her attention was fixed upon the miller's wing of the irregular building before her, than upon that occupied by her mother. For she could not help expecting every moment to see someone run out with a wild face and announce some awful clearing up of the mystery. Every sound set her on the alert, and hearing the tread of a horse in the lane, she looked round eagerly. Gazing at her over the hedge was Festus Derriman, mounted on such an incredibly tall animal that he could see to her very feet over the thick and broad thorn fence. She no sooner recognized him than she withdrew her glance, but as his eyes were fixed steadily upon her, this was a futile manoeuvre. I saw you look round, he exclaimed crossly. What have I done to make you behave like that? Come, Miss Garland, be fair. It's no use to turn your back upon me. As she did not turn, he went on. Well, now, this is enough to provoke a saint. Now, I tell you what, Miss Garland, here I'll stay till you do turn round, if it's all the afternoon. You know my temper. What I say, I mean. He seated himself firmly in the saddle, plucked some leaves from the hedge, and began humming a song, to show how absolutely indifferent he was to the flight of time. What have you come for, that you are so anxious to see me? inquired Annie, when at last he had wearied her patience, rising and facing him, with the added independence which came from a sense of the hedge between them. There, I knew you would turn round, he said, his hot angry face invaded by a smile in which his teeth showed like white hemmed in by red edges. What do you want, Mr. Derriman? said she. What do you want, Mr. Derriman? Now listen to that. Is that my encouragement? Annie bowed superciliously and moved away. 
I have just heard news that explains all that, said the giant, eyeing her movements with somnolent irascibility. My uncle has been letting things out. He was here late last night, and he saw you. Indeed he didn't, said Annie. Oh, now, he saw Trumpet Major Lafte quoting somebody like you in that garden walk, and when he came, you ran indoors. It's not true, and I wish to hear no more. Upon my life, he said so. How can you do it, Miss Garland, when I, who have enough money to buy up all the Lafte's, would gladly come to terms with ye? What a simpleton you must be to pass me over for him. There, now you are angry because I said simpleton. I didn't mean simpleton. I meant misguided. Misguided, Rosebud. That's it. Run off, he continued in a raised voice, as Annie made towards the garden door. But I'll have you yet. Much reason you have to be. Too proud to stay with me. But it won't last long. I shall marry you, madam, if I choose, as you'll see. When he was quite gone, and Annie had come down from the not altogether unrelished fear and excitement that he always caused her, she returned to her seat under the tree, and began to wonder what Festus Doryman's story meant, which, from the earnestness of his tone, did not seem like a pure invention. It suddenly flashed upon her mind that she herself had heard voices in the garden, and that the person seen by Farmer Derriman, of whose visit and reclamation of his box the miller had told her, might have been Matilda and John Loveday. She further recalled the strange agitation of Miss Johnson on the preceding evening, and that it occurred just at the entry of the dragoon, till, by degrees, suspicion amounted to conviction that he knew more than any one else supposed of that lady's disappearance. It was just at this time that the trumpet major descended to the mill after his talk with his brother on the down. As fate would have it, instead of entering the house, he turned aside to the garden and walked down that pleasant enclosure to learn if he were likely to find in the other half of it the woman he loved so well. Yes, there she was sitting on a seat of logs that he had repaired for her, under the apple tree, but she was not facing in his direction. He walked with a noisier tread, he coughed, he shook a bow, he did everything, in short, but the one thing that Festus did in the same circumstances, call out to her. He would not have ventured on that for the world. Any of his signs would have been sufficient to attract her a day or two earlier. Now she would not turn. At last, in his fond anxiety, he did what he had never done before without an invitation, and crossed over into Mrs. Garland's half of the garden, till he stood before her. 
When she could not escape him, she arose and, saying, Good afternoon, trumpet major, in a glacial manner unusual with her, walked away to another part of the garden. Loveday, quite at a loss, had not the strength of mind to pursue further. He had a vague apprehension that some imperfect knowledge of the previous night's unhappy business had reached her, and, unable to remedy the evil without telling more than he dared, he went into the mill, where his father still was, looking doleful enough. What with his concern at events and the extra quantity of flour upon his face, through sticking so closely to business that day. Well, John, Bob has told you all, of course. A queer, strange, perplexing thing, isn't it? I can't make it out at all. There must be something wrong in the woman, or it couldn't have happened. I haven't been so upset for years. Nor have I. I won't it should have happened for all I own in the world, said the dragoon. Have you spoke to Annie Garland today, or has anyone been talking to her? Festus Jerryman rode by half an hour ago and talked to her over the hedge. John guessed the rest, and after standing on the threshold in silence a while, walked away towards the camp. All this time his brother Robert had been hastening along in pursuit of the woman who had withdrawn from the scene to avoid the exposure and complete overthrow which would have resulted had she remained. As the distance lengthened between himself and the mill, Bob was conscious of some cooling down of the excitement that had prompted him to set out. But he did not pause in his walk till he had reached the head of the river which fed the mill stream. Here, for some indefinite reason, he allowed his eyes to be attracted by the bubbling spring whose waters never failed or lessened, and he stopped as if to look longer at the scene. It was really because his mind was so absorbed by John's story. The sun was warm, the spot was a pleasant one, and he deposited his bundle and sat down. By degrees, as he reflected first on John's view and then on his own, his convictions became unsettled, till at length he was so balanced between the impulse to go on and the impulse to go back that a puff of wind either way would have been well nigh sufficient to decide for him. When he allowed John's story to repeat itself in his ears, the reasonableness and good sense of his advice seemed beyond question. When, on the other hand, he thought of his poor Matilda's eyes and her, to him pleasant ways, their charming arrangements to marry, and her probable willingness still, he could hardly bring himself to do otherwise than follow on the road at the top of his speed. This strife of thought was so well maintained that sitting and standing, 
he remained on the borders of the spring till the shadows had stretched out eastwards and the chance of overtaking matilda had grown considerably less still he did not positively go towards home at last he took a guinea from his pocket and resolved to put the question to the hazard heads i go tails i don't the piece of gold spun in the air and came down heads no i won't go after all he said i won't be steered by accidents any more he picked up his bundle and switch and retraced his steps towards overcombe mill knocking down the brambles and nettles as he went with gloomy and indifferent blows when he got within sight of the house he beheld david in the road all right all right again captain shouted that retainer a wedding after all hurrah ah she's back again cried bob seizing david ecstatically and dancing round with him no but it's all the same it's of no consequence at all and no harm will be done maister and mrs garland have made up a match and mean to marry at once that the wedding victuals may not be wasted they felt it would be a thousand pities to let such good things get blue winnied for want of a ceremony to use them upon and at last they have thought of this victuals i don't care for the victuals bitterly cried bob in a tone of far higher thought how you disappoint me and he went slowly towards the house his father appeared in the opening of the mill door looking more cheerful than when they had parted what robert you have been after her he said faith then i wouldn't have followed her if i had been as sure as you were that she went to wayne's conifers since you told me that i have not looked for her at all i was wrong father bob replied gravely throwing down his bundle and stick matilda i find has not gone away in scorn of us she has gone away for other reasons i followed her some way but i have come back again she may go why is she gone said the astonished miller bob had intended for matilda's sake to give no reason to a living soul for her departure but he could not treat his father thus reservedly and he told she has made great fools of us said the miller deliberately and she might have made us greater ones bob i thought thou hast more sense well don't say anything against her father implored bob it was a sorry haul and there's an end on it let her down quietly and keep the secret you promise that i do laughed ada elder remained thinking a while and then went on well what i was going to say is this i've hit upon a plan to get out of the awkward corner she has put us in what you'll think of it i can't say david has just given me the heads 
and do it hurt your feelings, my son, at such a time? No, I'll bring myself to bear it anyhow. Why should I object to other people's happiness because I have lost mine? said Bob, with saintly self-sacrifice in his air. Well said, answered the miller heartily. But you may be sure that there'll be no unseemingly rejoicing to disturb ye in your present frame of mind. All the morning I felt more ashamed than I cared to own at the thought of how the neighbours, great and small, would laugh at what they would call your folly when they knew what had happened. So I resolved to take this step to stave it off, if so be it was possible, and when I saw Mrs. Garland, I knew I had done right. She pitied me so much for having had the house cleaned in vain, and laid in provisions to waste, that it put her into the humour to agree. We mean to do it right off at once, before the pies and cakes get mouldy and the black pot stale. It was a good thought of mine and hers, and I'm glad it's settled. He concluded cheerfully. Poor Matilda, murmured Bob. There, I was afraid to hurt thy feelings, said the miller with self-reproach, making preparations for thy wedding and using them for my own. No, said Bob heroically, it shall not. It will be a great comfort in my sorrow to feel that the splendid grub and the ale and your stunning new suit of clothes and the great tablecloths you have bought will be just as useful now as if I had married myself. Poor Matilda! But you won't expect me to join in? You hardly can. I can shear off that day very easily, you know. Nonsense, Bob, said the miller reproachfully. I couldn't stand it. I should break down. Deuce take me if I would have asked her then, if I had known it was going to drive thee out of the house. Now, come, Bob, I'll find a way of arranging it and sobering it down, so that it shall be as melancholy as you can require, in short, just like a funeral, if thou wilt promise to stay. Very well, said the afflicted one, on that condition, I'll stay. End of chapter